The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, the letter to the Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be reading from the verses 1 to 18. If you have a pew Bible, you will be able to find this on page 1380. Hebrews chapter 10, the verses 1 to 18. He's just spoken about the fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world to uh, offer himself up. In verse 28 of the chapter prior, that he was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he'll appear a second time. He's been speaking about this in the context of the law and how Jesus Christ fits into the law, that all of the sacrifices and all of the ceremonies of the holy place uh, and the, the temple, the uh, things that the priesthood carried out from day to day in the Old Testament all pointed to Jesus Christ himself, who was the fulfillment. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 10, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of these things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So far, the word of God. Also read this together uh, in, in, in connection with Lord's Day 30. Lord's Day 30 is the Lord's Day of our Heidelberg Catechism, a portion of our Heidelberg Catechism in which it's reflecting on the Lord's Supper and the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Over the last number of Lord's Suppers, we've been going through the different Lord's Days relating to the Lord's Supper, and today we come to Lord's Day 30. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us first that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins 
through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches first that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ until he is offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those who are also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. For then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. So far... Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how do you see the Lord's Supper? Do you see it as a, a fix-it? That you come to the table of the Lord to, to have yourself fixed, to have your sins forgiven, to be washed clean again? Do you see the Lord's Supper as a bar that you have to measure up to? That you come to the Lord's Supper table if you have your life all figured out? all of your ducks in a row? Or do you see the Lord's Supper as something that bears witness, something that teaches you, something that tells you about a greater truth? This is part of the discussion that's going on in the questions and answers of the portion of the Heidelberg Catechism that we read today. We might find some of the language in our catechism to be uncomfortable to 21st century ears. But the mindset that the authors of our catechism were speaking out about was a serious one, and one that they did not want their children and their brothers and sisters in Christ to fall into. You see, the early Reformed church in the 16th century, the time when this catechism was written, had a regular stream of converts that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. At this time, many of those converts loved how deeply and sincerely the churches of the Reformation returned to the Word of God, which was a great contrast at that time from the Church of Rome that they came out of. And yet not all of them understood everything that was involved in the switch as they came over. So this brought them some of them, to continue in the view of the Church of Rome that the Lord's Supper itself had power to forgive sins. 
The Reformed Church rejected that kind of a description of the Lord's Supper, pointing to passages like Hebrews 10, verse 12. Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Did you sin? Their idea was, the Church of Rome's idea was, Come, take part in the Eucharist and receive forgiveness as the priest offers Christ's body up again. Did you sin? Come here and we will clean you and we will wash you. Some were taking advantage of the confusion surrounding this to try control people. And there were those who put countries under interdict which is to say, denying the Lord's Supper to the whole country until their king would bend the knee to the Pope. Some were abusing the Lord's Supper. You, can only, you only have to think about the stereotypical Sicilian mafia member who comes to Mass, an unrepentant, hardened criminal looking for a free pass. And then you can picture a, a 16th century version of that. So the idea of the power of the Lord's Supper to present you as right before God was what many converts still held to or were confused by as they came there. Now consider this for yourself as you reflect on that. You may not think for yourself in these ways, but have you ever asked yourself, Should I come to the Lord's Supper? I sinned. Do I need to do more yet to please God so that he'll bring me in? Not in the sense that you live in willful sin. We'll get to that in a bit. But have you ever asked yourself that question even after you've repented? Do I need to do more of God's will to be allowed to come to the table? What's behind that kind of thinking? If I am able to come to the Lord's Supper, then I, will, then I know I will be all right before God. It's more of the same kind of thinking. Something that I do can make me right before God. In the Roman Catholic picture, it was to bring him the sacrifice of the Mass. Yet in the other, it's to give him the sacrifice of my own good works. But this all comes back to what I bring to the table. It's this same mindset that is being challenged by these words of Hebrews that Christ offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins. Now let's be clear, it is of absolute importance to seek to do God's will. This should be our chief end, our greatest desire in life. Verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 10 points this out, For offerings for sin you did not desire, but rather Christ said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Christ's approach to God and Christ's Christ's desire before his Father should be our approach before our Father in heaven as well. Our Lord's Day emphasizes that in question and answer 81. 
if you were reading through that, you may have noticed those words that we should not come to the table if we have no desire to do God's will, if we have no desire to amend our life. Our mere coming to the table does not wipe us clean of that. Hypocrisy and a lack of repentance results in eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. And if, question and answer 81, you do show by your confession and life that you are unbelieving and ungodly, the church is duty-bound to exclude you from the table, to warn you, to warn you that God himself will exclude you from heaven. The mere barring of the table is just a picture of that. If we continue to reject God, to walk away from God, to turn our backs on God. And so we are called to do serious self-examination. Serious self-examination as to what sin looks like and if we truly have a desire to make war on it in our lives. One author described it in this way, a mature understanding of sin should be accompanied by a diverse vocabulary. In other words, we should be able to speak about sin for 15 minutes without using the word sin. To be clear, this isn't to avoid the word sin, but that we have a clear understanding as we examine ourselves. Like this, he says, we are, we are treasonous. We manage the world our own way. We want what we want. God created us and we belong to him, but we venture out as rebellious children. Luke 15 and the prodigal son. We live in ways that are not God's original design, not good for human flourishing. We live independently in a father-centered world. All life is personal. We are saying something about our relationship with the true God in everything we do. We do not believe what God has said. God has spoken through Jesus and we ignore him. End quote. These are all thrown up in direct contrast to Jesus Christ's words. Behold, I have come to do your will. And so we need to examine ourselves as we come to the table, examine ourselves in light of that. Is there anything in my life or imagination that I want to hide? Do I flit with, flirt with any temptations because I think everyone else is flirting with them too? Do I humble myself before God, recognizing his eternal perfect standard? Am I confessing my sin? Or am I willfully continuing in sin? All we like sheep, the prophet Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him even our willfulness, but if that's not a concern to ourselves and that doesn't humble ourselves before him, we need to ask ourselves how much we truly value Jesus Christ. If you are unrepentant and you're holding on to sin and have no interest in change, though you know God calls you to something else, then our catechism teaches us today that the Lord's Supper is not for you that that is an unrepentant and ungodly walk of life. And the call goes out, repent. Turn your life over to God and genuinely humble yourself for your willfulness. But that doesn't deal with the original question for those who are not 
willfully continuing in sin with no desire to change. Or maybe you've come to realize your willfulness and you genuinely desire to take steps to change. You read those words, no sacrifices or offerings have you desired but to do your will and they ring true for you in Jesus Christ. That is your desire in Jesus Christ. And you're still struggling with that question, should I come to the Lord's Supper? I sinned, I have been willful, each and every single one of us have gone to his own way. Do I need to do more yet to please God so that he'll bring me in? What if you feel unworthy to come to the Lord's Supper table because of the weight of your sin, if you, even if you have repented and sought to amend your life? Does that mean you don't belong there? Loved ones, if you feel burdened and unworthy, then the Lord's Supper is for you. It's such people who need it the most. It's for such people Jesus came. He was the one who said, I came not for the healthy but the sick, not for the righteous but for sinners. Or in Ephesians 2 verse 1, those words, those who are dead to sin, to bring them back to life. It may be that we do feel burdened and unworthy, and yet here's the beautiful promise in our passage today. The Spirit teaches us this in Hebrews 10, the verses 8 to 10, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. These were the things in the Old Testament, the old world where they, they offered up their sacrifices time and time again. They took of their flocks and herds and then they laid them on the altar and they burned them before God. These things, these offerings you did not desire. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. I have come to do your will, O God. He, that is Jesus, takes away the first so that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified, made holy, set apart. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You don't earn your place at the Lord's Supper or by feeling that you can come to the Lord's supper table somehow to be more worthy in God's eyes. You don't use it as a tool to increase your own righteousness or to somehow become more forgiven than you were yesterday. You don't set it up before you so that you can offer it up as a sacrifice of God, as a remembrance of the, but, but you take part as a recognition of the sacrifice that was already made once and for all. You come because you recognize your own sin. You hate the unbelief that it expresses in your life. And you want to live according to God's commandments. And you recognize that the only way that you can be changed and be received by God is through Jesus Christ himself. This is the great comfort of our passage today. I have come. Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I have come to do your will, O God. 
you have not done the will of God. But praise God, verse 10 points out, it's not by your will that you have been sanctified. It's by that will, his perfect obedience to God's will that makes you acceptable to God. And now you come to him through Jesus Christ. If you feel if you live feeling hopelessly unworthy before the face of God, you can take heart and be comforted that this is a good way to begin to live before God. As you humble yourself, seeing how good and perfect God is, seeing how Jesus Christ did his will, you can begin to see that you yourself can't stand before God. Only Christ can. But don't stop there. Take joy in the fact that he has come to do God's will. Meditate on and truly begin to grasp how he applied this work of coming to do God's will to you, to sanctify you, to set you apart, to clean you by what he's done and to make you his own. Let your understanding of your own unworthiness lead you to look to the one who is worthy, the one who calls to you, follow me. Let it spur you on to run to Jesus. And once you find your refuge in him, he will comfort you that in him you become not worthless anymore, but a treasure of inestimable worth. And let any sin that would cheapen this sacrifice be by his grace a sin that you make war on in his name and for his sake because you desire to do the will of the one who perfectly accomplished the will of God for you to set you apart and set you free. The abbreviated form that we read this afternoon says it in this way. All who by the grace of God repent of their sins, desire to fight against their unbelief and live according to God's commandments will certainly be received by God at the table of his son, Jesus Christ. They may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which remains in them against their will shall keep God from accepting them in grace and granting them this heavenly food and drink. Loved ones, by the Lord's Supper, we have the opportunity to dwell in this, that Jesus Christ has come to do the will of his Father, to see how vividly God's grace is poured out on us. The bread and wine are symbols of what has been done for us, as well as seals that what has been done applies to all who take part in the Lord's Supper by faith. Yes, including you and me. You needed him to do God's will perfectly to the point of death, this reminds you. And he did so, and you belong to him, and now he leads you to want to live for him. Christ doesn't need to be offered again and again. The Lord's Supper is not a magic wand that makes you more forgiven or a bar that you must measure up to, but a confession of that deep and profound truth 
that you were forgiven once for all at the cross. And praise God, where, there, where those sins were forgiven, there is not only any more that we could offer to God to make us more accepted, but there is no need for another offering. Because your trust is in the one who has done it once for all. So as you come to the Lord's Supper table today, confess. Confess that you have not done his will as he has called you to. Confess the impossibility of your own righteousness being a worthy standard before God. Confess that there was one who came to do the will of God, Jesus, and that he did. Confess that despite the impossibility of being perfect yourself, you trust Jesus to supply that righteousness for you out of his undeserved grace and love. Don't doubt that the sacrifice was once and for all. Take part in the Lord's Supper because you understand that it is finished. And confess that because of his work, you want to do his will. As you do that, Comforted and reflecting on those words of Hebrews, take comfort as the Holy Spirit bears witness in these final words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is a remission of these sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. No offering is necessary. Amen.